Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. Once again, I'm pleased to bring you the audio of our senior chapel talks from this past week by Inara Bayani, Isabella Castano, Madeline Miller, and Jack Torpy, TMI Class of 2019. Our first featured talk is by Inara Bayani. Inara began attending TMI in the ninth grade. She is hoping to attend the University of Texas at Austin or the University of Texas at Dallas this fall, where she plans to study nursing. When not in class, you'll find Inara enjoying a good book or playing the piano. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy this senior chapel talk. We tell our friends we're going to be there for them, but friendships are complicated, and it isn't always easy to talk to your friends about every little thing that's happening in your life or about what you're constantly struggling with. Maybe it's this fear of being judged, or maybe it's just that we don't recognize we need to talk about things that scare us in the first place. It was in middle school that I had my first experiences with the struggle to open up about the things that were so obviously affecting me. In my case, I had a lot of family problems, and I'm sure that many of you can relate to this. Maybe you don't get along with a sibling, or maybe you argue with your parents who think that you're growing up too fast. Mine wasn't really anything like this. Mine revolved around my relationship with my dad. Growing up, I was close to my dad. When I lived in Dallas, my dad lived here in San Antonio because of work. Living apart was really hard for me because up to that point, my dad had been my best friend. He'd come to every swim meet, he'd come to every volleyball game, and he'd show up to everything. When he moved here, I rarely saw him, and this really changed our relationship. My mom noticed this change right away and she made the decision for us to move to San Antonio and live with my dad. She figured that since my sister and I were still young, it was absolutely necessary that we had a strong relationship with him, and we could only accomplish that if we were in the same city. Shortly after we moved to San Antonio, my dad lost his job. This was hard on my family financially and caused a lot of stress. My dad had trouble finding another job, and in his time off, He became angrier and more frustrated with his bad luck. Soon, he would take this anger out on my mom and my sister and I. We were understanding, though, because we knew how hard it was on him when he lost the job that he loved. I know a lot of people who wake up absolutely hating their jobs, but my dad was never like that. He was always excited, and his job was pretty much his identity. He was My dad was almost too angry, though, and too frustrated. Three months without a job quickly became two years, and it was during those two years that my relationship with my father completely changed. Everyone seems to have this different method of venting, but for some people, their methods could end up hurting people in the process. I remember the yelling being so loud between my parents that I'd turn up the volume of the music on my headphones as loud as it could go, and it still wouldn't drown the sound out. I remember it being so loud that the neighbors would knock on our doors, worried. But most importantly, I remember thinking that a lot of it was, was my fault. 
I remember blaming myself when he would call me a burden, a disappointment. Sometimes this em emotional abuse became too much to handle, and I would cry for hours thinking I had done something wrong and that I wasn't deserving of my dad's love. As a 14-year-old who had only positive memories of my dad, his words hurt me to the point where I distanced myself from everyone in my family and even my friends. My dad wasn't the same person he was before. He was somebody else that we didn't recognize. I remember my dad would sometimes be in the happiest mood, telling jokes, optimistic that he would find a job that would be even better than his old one. And I remember other times he was this completely different person. He was irritated easily, he was depressed, and he wouldn't get out of bed until the day was almost over. He was rude and he would throw things in frustration. I never understood where this violence came from, and my mom struggled to give me a reason or answer, so I would often look for one myself. A lot of this resulted in self-blame and even self-hatred as I would tend to listen to my dad's hurtful words so much that I started to believe them. It's hard to put into words how self-blame works. Usually, we can recognize when something's our fault or when it isn't. I didn't tell my friends about the issues I was having at home either, and if anyone ever wanted to come over, I'd use some generic excuse about how the house was a mess and my mom didn't want anyone to see it. I paid very little attention to myself. About two years ago, my dad was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. For those of you who aren't familiar with this disorder, it's more than just mood swings. It's characterized by moods ranging from manic excitement to severe depression. As shocked as I was to find this out, I was also relieved. I was relieved to know that my dad's behavior was due to a disorder and that it didn't reflect the real him. Bipolar disorder is incurable, but medication can help. My dad was prescribed medication, and my family was hopeful that he would get the help he needed and get closer to returning to his old self. But things didn't turn out this way. It wasn't that easy. Accepting that there is a problem is one thing. Accepting help is a completely other. What we thought was a one-time occurrence became his routine, seven nights a week. I remember when my dad would talk to my family about his problems, big or small, because we were his family and he was allowed to lean on us for support. But once he started leaning on alcohol for that support, he shut us out. If he spoke to us, he was yelling. Again, I blamed myself. Every hurtful thing my dad said to me, I believed. I internalized it, and I made it my truth. It wasn't long before we found out that my dad was refusing help when we found his medication bottle still full. I saw how difficult it was for my dad to accept help, but I noticed that it was hard for me to do that too. I tried to ignore my family problems and push them to the back of my head. But I knew that I was having trouble coping when I would cry in my car for an hour before walking into my house after school. I knew I was having trouble coping when I would sit in a fast food restaurant's parking lot, eating slow so that I wouldn't have to face my reality at home. I never knew what I was coming home to. It became obvious that I was struggling with my mental health as a result of what was happening at home. But mental health is so important. And too often, we don't treat it like we treat physical health. 
we toss it aside, and we don't pay it much attention. But I learned that I had to address it because I was suffering mentally. I came to this realization on another drive home from school, which always felt like took seconds because I had been dreading coming home the whole day. I thought I had had a good day and that everything seemed to have went well. But for no reason at all, in this moment, I found myself in the worst mood, holding back tears and eventually falling victim to my own bottled up emotions. I realized quickly that this was becoming a cycle. There were no good days, and if they started off well, they didn't end that way. I knew I had to talk to someone, but the idea of asking for help seemed like admitting that I had a problem I couldn't fix on my own. I was stuck in this mindset where I felt like since people had it much worse than I did, I didn't exactly have the right to be upset. But that's flawed thinking because nobody should feel bad about feeling bad. I decided in that moment, on that drive home, that I was going to stop refusing help. My dad had refused to help himself, and up to that point, I had too. My story did not need to become like his, though. When I said that we tell our friends we're going to be there for them, I do think that we sincerely mean that. I do think that everybody in this room would pick up the phone and call their friends and check on them, comfort them, support them, if we knew that they were suffering mentally. It's so hard to treat ourselves with that same amount of care. I, for the longest time, refused that I needed any sort of help. I thought the way that I was handling it was good enough. Ignoring it, though, does not make the problem go away. I felt like everything that was happening in my life was my fault. This idea of not having control over all the overwhelming factors in my life scared me. We like to be in control. We like to be in the driver's seat of our lives, not the passenger seat. But there are some things that are completely out of our control. Our next featured talk is by Isabella Castano. I was never an independent person that enjoyed being by myself and making my own choices. And I thought this would never change. From my earliest memories, I have always been really close to my family and friends. And by close, I mean really close. Close to all my family and my 17 friends. Yes, 17 friends back in Mexico. Piedraneras is a small town in Mexico across the border from Eagle Pass, Texas. It had always been my hometown and its people made me become a dependent person. Since I was in kindergarten, I have had the same friends and I hang with them all the time. Every summer camp, every trip, and every special occasion I've been to, no matter what, most of my family and my 17 friends were present. And most of those trips have some good memories. Like the time on our first day in Chile, a man stole my mother's purse that contained all of her passports. Well, that part wasn't a good memory, but because of that, now each one of us has to carry like six copies of our passports everywhere we go, just in case. Or the time that my friends and I ran through the streets of Rome 
because a crazy lady was suddenly chasing us, or the time that we traveled all the way to Cracovia to see Pope Francis, except we had to use the restroom and couldn't get back where he was. We almost lost our chance to see him, but all 17 of us started crying and they let us back in. I guess 17 crying teenage girls can be very persuasive or just annoying. Not to mention, since I was younger, I have always admired my sister because she was always on the go, from summer camps to school courses all around the world without any company. Surely I thought that one day I would be the same. However, I now realize that it will never happen. Every trip that I've been on, there have been at least three people I know, no matter how short the trip was. I didn't realize I was a dependent person, or at least I never thought that this was not normal until I came to study here in San Antonio. Before coming to TMI, all I did was beg my parents not to make me move to San Antonio because I didn't want to miss anything that would happen back in Mexico. I was scared that my friends would do fun things in school and outside that I would not have the chance to be part of. I would question myself. What if they stop talking to me and I just become that one friend that used to live over there? Or what if they stop caring, stop caring about me and stop calling me whenever some event might come up? What if they forget me all together? Last year, living in San Antonio was really hard for me because I didn't get to see my relatives and my friends that often. Since the first day of my junior year, I had a mindset that living and studying here in San Antonio was not going to be something I would enjoy. I felt miserable. I cried almost every week wishing I was back in my real home. I tried to go as much as I could to my hometown, but it was still not the same. Every time I went, it became a sacrifice to come back to San Antonio. It became a depressing, mo depressing moment whenever I crossed the border between where my happiness really stood and where I tried to live day by day without any feeling of satisfaction. I know that being a dependent person is not what most of us would want to be. However, I don't feel bad about myself for being this way. I cannot deny that I'm like this and that I miss living back in Mexico. Certainly, I have to develop some independence in terms of being able to take initiative, but yet, being dependent is not a bad thing. For me, dependence is a way of relying on the people whom I can trust, who I know will support me, and who will always be there for me whenever I need them the most. I know I'm different from my sister and different from most people who believe that being independent is the best way to succeed, and I think that is okay. This is who I am, and this is how I live a happy life. The only thing I'll so I can be independent inside the group of people that surrounds me. I can thrive surrounded by that social environment 
I can become someone in life. I can go on in life with all of them without any problem. And that is okay. Building confidence will help me stop depending on others to do that for me. But just because I find joy whenever my family and friends are, it doesn't mean I cannot become an independent person who can make choices on my own and still be surrounded by these special people. After finishing junior year, I couldn't stay another day in San Antonio. I just wanted to go back to Mexico and finish high school with my friends and live in my real home. My parents were now the ones begging me to stay in San Antonio, but I just didn't want to. However, my parents were very understanding and supportive and they let me go back to Mexico because they knew that it will make me happier than staying here. So I started senior year back in Mexico, but as soon as I began school, I realized that I had just made a terrible mistake. One weekend, I went to Monterrey, Mexico for a college visit. And when I was back on the road, I started to overthink and just regret leaving San Antonio and especially TMI. However, I was never planning on telling my parents what I was feeling because I was too ashamed that I had not listened to them. But just when I arrived in my home, my father literally read my mind. And the first thing he asked me when he saw me was, don't you want to go back to TMI? And that was just a relief for me. The next day, my mother and I came to TMI. And as you can see, I'm back. <laughs> I realized that my school in Mexico cannot be compared to TMI. TMI is a school that prepares you for the future in the best way, and it has helped me build more independence in my choices. Coming back to TMI has been one of the best decisions I have ever made. However, I feel that I needed to experience living back in Mexico to realize how important it is for me to continue my studies here. I still rely on the people that I care about the most, but during this year, Living in San Antonio has helped me realize that those people will always be there for me no matter what. I realize that I will not be that forgotten friend because the people that I love and care about are quality people. I'm so grateful and blessed that I get to have the kind of people in my life who make me become a better person and who have made such an impact in my life that I cannot live and go on without them. Each and every one of my family and friends have something special. Something that makes me want to stay back in Mexico every day. But I know that being here in San Antonio is helping me develop more confidence and independence in myself and my choices. However, I don't feel bad accepting that I depend on a group for my happiness. Having such people in my life is a gift from God, and I will always thank him for putting them in my life journey. Thank you. Our third featured talk is by Madeline Miller. In 1950, my great-grandfather, Bill Miller, started selling eggs and poultry off a $500 loan from his dad. 
Fast forward 68 years, and now some would say Bill Miller's sweet tea and fried chicken are the leading factors of San Antonio's obesity issue. I, however, would say that is a quintessential example of doing things the right way with the right intentions. Bill Miller Barbecue is a self-made business that started from nothing and has grown into a staple for our community, all by the power of family. Family is what ensures we are doing things the right way. Family is what keeps us on track. Family is why Bill Miller's is successful. That success hasn't come easily though. If you ask anyone in the restaurant occupation, they'll be the first to tell you it's one of the worst and most competitive industry to be in for many reasons. In 1954, after the opening of our second restaurant, my great-grandfather almost gave in to this cutthroat industry. Business was scarce, good help was few and far between, and the cost of maintaining a restaurant was incredible. As it started to look more and more hopeless, my great-grandpa's oldest son graduated from A&M and started the process of looking for a job. My great-uncle joined his father at the company, and my grandfather and their youngest brother soon followed. Bill Miller's sons saved the company. From there on out, it was a true family operation. Working together to support one another became a trend that eventually became a lifestyle for my family. My dad and brother, along with each aunt, uncle, and cousin, would end up contributing to the business in one way or another, many even making it their career. My time to contribute came in the summer of 2018 when I was tasked with finding my first job. It is important to understand that at the end of the day, I could have worked anywhere and still chose Bill Miller's. Yes, although handing over my application did feel like a funeral for the summer bringing me freedom, I did what I had to do. My choice guaranteed a learning curve to overcome, but knowing that my family would be there to point out my mistakes and advise me on how to handle them made it worth it. It wasn't about the mistake. It was about what's taken away from it to make sure it wouldn't be repeated. That mindset speaks volumes on the character of Bill Miller's and the way it is operated. Working for my family made me feel like part of a legacy in the way that I never had before. My days went by quickly because I wasn't just some teenager suffering at a job. I was a member of my family contributing to the hard work that I've admired throughout my childhood. The work that I did affected me in the most direct way imaginable, encouraging me to put in every bit of effort because the livelihood of my shopping addiction depended on it. I will admit though, I didn't just work hard because I needed to fund my retail therapy. I worked hard because I wanted to, just as each generation of Millers did before me. When something is truly enjoyable, nothing feels like too much effort, time, or dedication to put in. Our business has ultimately been a success because we thrive off of each other. If it wasn't for my great-grandmother supporting my great-grandfather when they opened their first store, Bill Miller's wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for my grandpa and his brothers working together for the past 50 years, Bill Miller's wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for family, Bill Miller's wouldn't be here, and you'd all have to settle for the inferior choice of Taco Cabana breakfast tacos. Bill Miller's did not excel because Texas needed another barbecue restaurant. It excelled because we were in it together then and still are to this day. 
Family is one of the greatest gifts that is so often overlooked. No one knows you quite like they do. So even though it's annoying that your dad won't stop asking you if you've done your homework, or your mom won't stop offering you food that you don't want to eat, or your brother literally will not leave you alone, realize it all comes from a place of love. I went to work for my family and they supported me wholeheartedly, just as they have been supporting each other for the past 68 years. So whether you're looking to run over 70 barbecue restaurants or just get advice on the smallest of issues, family is the answer. Thank you, mom and dad, for having all the answers, and thank you, TMI. Our final chapel talk from this past week is by Jack Torpy. Jack has been a part of the TMI community since the sixth grade and will be studying at the Mays Business School at Texas A&M this fall. When not in class, you'll find Jack playing sports and spending time with his friends. Thank you for listening, and now, enjoy this senior chapel talk. I'm going to start this talk with the worst day in my life. The day started like any other, but little did I know I was in for a ride. It was the summer of my junior year, and I was frankly as happy as can be. I was playing one of the sports I loved, and everything was good with my family and friends. It was summer, so thankfully I was not doing homework every day, and that left me a lot of time to hang out with my friends, especially as I practice with a lot of them on a daily basis. Now, as football season began to charge full steam ahead, I began to focus heavily on my play and making an impact on both sides of the field. However, all this came to an unexpected stop three days before our opening home game. At practice, I suffered a fully torn ACL, which, if you do not know, is the tear of the main ligament for lateral movement in your knee. This injury devastated me and brought with it six months of time I could not be playing sports. It has been a year and four months since that day, and I'm a very different person than I was then. That injury made me realize for the first time that I was not invincible. We are not superheroes or gods as much as we may want to believe we are. We are human. And even with all the advantages given to us by our evolutionary complexity, we are going to break down no matter what. Despite this fact, humans have developed one key system that affects all of us by allowing us to make mistakes and recover from them, and that system is pain. I do not know if everyone in here has experienced a severe injury like a torn ACL, but one thing these injuries share in common is that they hurt a lot. In my surgery, the string tying my femur to my tibia was completely replaced and it caused a lot of damage. My knee was never going to be the same after this injury, and I was facing a serious challenge in the road to returning from my senior year of sports. When you think about it, none of us would be even be alive without pain. I know this sounds counterintuitive because all we want to avoid is pain, but pain is almost a sixth sense for us because it is our most effective way of learning lessons and staying alive. You see, every time you have ever felt pain in any way, your body has cataloged that feeling and why it happened. All of us have touched a hot pan and learned very quickly not to touch things that are hot again. 
In every situation you encounter, your brain is using data it previously collected through experiencing pain to give you semi-accurate and logical predictions for whatever is happening at that time. In this way, experiencing pain gives us the opportunity to meet all the challenges that are thrown our way. This is why pain is so important to growth. Evolution has literally built us to be machines of trial and error. We are made to break apart and fail, but only because it gives us the opportunity to become something better. I was facing six long months of hard recovery that was going to be a scary but doable task. Since I had lost my entire year of junior sports, I was disheartened by my situation, and all I wanted was to come back and have a great senior year of sports. I should have known it was not going to be that easy, because only six weeks into rehab, it was clear that something was wrong. My knee was still struggling to straighten, and after another MRI, the doctors told me that I had a large amount of scar tissue built up in the center of my knee. This was a rare condition and required another surgery to correct. This news hit me hardest in my head as I was once again frustrated and angry at my situation. You see, pain can be very bad, both mentally and physically, but it is important to know that pain is also temporary. Pushing through temporary pain leads to results. This is difficult, however, because it is easy to use pain as an excuse instead of a tool for your growth and success. During my recovery, I had spent so much time focusing on the entire six months of painful rehab that I demoralized myself into believing I was facing the impossible. When my goal was difficult to attain, I tried to shut down and just do the minimum. Despite even my parents and friends' encouragement and advice, I did not realize that to get back to where I wanted to be, it was going to hurt an incredible amount, but eventually it would pay off. You cannot let pain or fear of pain hold you back from what you want to achieve. Sometimes it takes time for people to accept the reality of their situation, and this realization can be used as a motivator to work hard. I gained a perspective on how fast something you love can be taken away from you when I was injured. And the memory of me barely being able to walk still flashes in my mind every time I go onto a field or court to compete. However, now I choose to learn from the pain. I've used it to motivate myself to recover and play this year. Sometimes you cannot simply overcome an injury. Sometimes the only way to get through the hurt is simply to manage and bear through it. I remember nights of staying up for hours in bed, just trying to deal with the constant throbbing and aching that was normal for my healing process. It is important to understand that pain may last a minute. Pain may last an hour. It might even last a year, but eventually pain will go away. If you want to achieve anything in life, you will eventually be faced with pain that is unlike anything you have ever felt before. When this happens, and it will happen to everyone, take a chance to gather yourself first. Reach out to your friends and family and spend time with them. The people who support you the most 
are all around you and they want you to succeed. For me, whether it was the tough love of DC, the constant support of my parents, or the goofy and crazy times I've had with my friends, they made an exponential difference in finishing my recovery. Everyone here wants to be on the path to success. It really is true. This is a community of like-minded, future-oriented people who genuinely want to achieve something. The great part about your years of high school and middle school is that these are times of growth. These are the perfect times to fail and to get hurt, which allow us to learn and recover and be better. Use it to help create a future for yourself and to become a better version of yourself. So next time you come across a challenge or a difficult task, remember, pain is inevitable, but suffering, that's a choice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www.tmi-sa.org.